Freedom in Christ is our theme for 2014. Subtitle is The Year of the Lord's Favor. Uh, That comes from the concept of the year of Jubilee, and we spent a week uh, talking about that. Uh, Every 50 years, the Israelites had a year of Jubilee when everyone was set free from their uh, slavery or indebtedness and uh, had a great celebration for a year. We picked that because this is uh, the year of Northside's Jubilee and a half. Uh, Northside's 75 years old this year, and we're going to celebrate a little bit as we go along and uh, reminisce a little as we go along in a lot of our series, I think, and uh, maybe we'll tie all that together and make a kind of a special year of this. Uh, mainly, we're going to talk about all the freedoms that we may not think about very often. Uh, freedoms that we may not realize that we have, freedoms we may not have claimed, uh, a lot of freedoms in Christ that we need to concentrate on. So we're going to work on different series along that line this year. Our first series is called Free and Clear, God's Roadmap to Debt-Free Living. God wants us to be free in all ways, but uh, particularly He wants us to be free financially. Uh, and uh, this is not a health, wealth, and prosperity kind of sermon, uh, not what you hear on TV about if you just give a little bit, you'll get a whole lot more. And all this is about being free financially and based on the principles of the Bible. Last week, Toby started us off, uh, well, he started off with a really weird sermon. Uh, it was even called weird. Uh, but his point was to make us see how weird we behave these days, uh, how far off we have got from God's principles of finance and all of that. And he showed us that uh, God's principles, and I put on the handout there all the scriptures that he used and the things that he pointed out uh, today, are weird. Uh, preparing for a rainy day, saving up for something. Being debt-free, using cash, having a plan, investing wisely, giving graciously. Those are not the norm these days. And Toby did a great job of pointing out how unnormal they are these days. Uh, So today I thought I would follow that one up with a sermon entitled, When Weird Was Normal, uh, and go back in time just a little bit. I can do that better than Toby can. Remember the older times, so I'm going to go back just a little bit. And that's the reason I picked that passage from Jeremiah to start us out. God said, look for the ancient ways. Look for the old paths. And I know that can be misused and can be abused in many ways. It doesn't mean we can't ever change anything. But the principle of it, that the old paths, the things that God said, are always best. The basics that he gives us, including the basics for finance, make life better. So that's what we're going to do to do to go back in time just a little bit. Uh, some of you have seen some of those old times. And some of you remember, as Toby was talking last week, some of you remember when that wasn't weird. When the things were like that. Some of you have never seen it. Now, there's a lot in this audience that have always lived in a period of time uh, when we don't follow God's principles of finance. Uh, So that's where I want to go and try to educate mainly the the young people among us. I think this is where this series is more focused. 
two charts uh, demonstrate what I mean. Uh, number one, houses have changed. Let's look. I put that chart on your handout even. Back in 1950, which was just a little bit after I was born, the average single-family household was 983 square feet. That's what the whole house was. Okay? Uh, and you can see it increased over the years. In 2004, it was up to 2349 square feet, uh, 230% bigger. Uh, it grew a little bit beyond that. And in the last couple of years, we've actually shrunk a little bit. People have scared by 2008, I guess, have started to build a little smaller houses, but not much. Uh, to help you understand this, any of you ever go back to your childhood home and walk through that and think, I can't believe it was this small. How did we live in this? How did all of us make it with one bathroom? You know, I mean, you don't have room for many bathrooms in a 983-square-foot house. Uh, <clears throat> things have changed quite a bit. Now, you ask yourself why. Well, one answer is maybe people are 240% bigger. Uh, <laughs> we get close, maybe, but I don't think that's the, the full answer. Uh, maybe we have 240% more stuff. That we, in fact, we've got more than that because we build bigger closets and bigger rooms to store it in, and then we still have to go rent storage spaces. Okay, so over the past just past fifty years or so, look how much things have changed toward bigger houses. That, and you could argue if people in 1950 lived in them, that we could probably get by in them today. We don't think we can, but we probably could. The other chart I put on your handout is that debt and credit have changed. This is a scary one. Uh, this is household debt to income ratio. For whatever your income is, how much debt do you have? And back in 1952, it was down around 30%. Whatever, if you made 10000 a year, you had maybe 3000 in debt. And you can see it just goes up steadily until just a couple of years ago in 2007, it peaked out at 130%. So if you make $100,000 a year, you've got $130,000 in debt. Okay? This is the average. This is the norm. This is what Toby was talking about last week. It's just gone up and up and up. Okay? Uh, something has definitely changed. Okay? Now, last week, Toby preached all of this stuff, and the old people cheered. The old people said, all right on, Toby. It's about time somebody said those kind of things. That's what's wrong with this world. We're out of whack. Okay? And older people loved it. My guess is a lot of younger people sat there and thought, yeah, I know what he's saying. I understand my life is out of whack financially, but I got no idea what to do about it. I got no idea where to start. I know what he's saying, and I can see that, yeah, that's probably not right according to God's principles and everything common sense even. But how do I change? Where do I start? Well, we'll get there. That's what this whole sermon series is about. Uh, but I want to take you to another place today, especially you, you young people. 
I want to show you a little different perspective instead of just saying it's different and it's wrong. I want to tell you a little bit about how we got here. How we got to this point where weird is not normal anymore. Uh, the 1930s, let's start there. That's way before my time, but that's where my parents were. So let's start there. The, the Great Depression. Okay, and some of you have heard about it. Some of you think what we're going through the last few years is the same as the Great Depression because that's what the government tells you, but it's not close. Okay? Uh, this picture is a picture of men lined up to get a meal. Uh, unemployed, some homeless, but mostly just unemployed people lined up trying to get a meal at a soup kitchen. In 1929, the stock market crash started everything. Actually, it started before that. But 9,000 banks failed. Closer to head money in them, you couldn't get the money out. Okay. Unemployment averaged 25%. Okay. We claim it's around 7 or 8 or something today. It's really around 15 to 18. But it averaged 25% then. People couldn't get a job. Uh, this many people looked for a meal, every meal. Uh, people born during that time or lived through that time didn't have anything, basically. They, sometimes they didn't know where the next meal was coming from. The ones that were fortunate knew where the next meal was coming from. It might not be a very good meal or they might not have anything else, but they knew they were going to eat. That's the shape the country was in. Well, the people lived through that had a certain mindset about things. Some of you know, so, well, some of you lived through it, but some of you had parents that lived through it, and you know how they thought about things. That generation that lived through that begat my generation, the baby boomers. Okay? I'm one of the earlier baby boomers. Baby boomers started in 46, I was born in 48. And so we lived through this time where we had parents that had been through the Great Depression. But we lived in a time of prosperity. The 50s, things were booming. The country were coming back from the war and everything was uh, wonderful and growing and new things were out there and new inventions and people were buying cars and houses and all that. And people had a lot more kids. That's where the boom, the baby boom came from. More kids were born in this period than any other period. Our folks who lived through the Great Depression, now in a time of relative plenty, didn't want us to want. Okay? Now, I'll say this in general. Your family may have been different. But in general, people who had lived through the Depression now in a time of pretty good prosperity, didn't want their children to want for anything. So they gave us probably too much. Uh, my family, we traveled a lot. That was one thing that the folks thought was important. Uh, they'd never done any of that when they were young because they were dealing with the Depression and the aftermath and all that. So they took us everywhere. Every summer we went somewhere. I've seen almost all the 50 states. Uh, that was something they wanted us to have. They gave us other things that they weren't able to have. Yeah. Now, they did teach us uh, the value of savings. They understood that, and they wanted us to know that. You save up for a rainy day. In fact, I remembered I had this 
little book. Some of you remember what this little book was, a little savings book. And you would take it to the bank and give the teller a little bit of money. And the teller would stamp the thing and write their initials and then write down how much you put in and then give you your total. Every once in a while they'd add some interest. Yeah. Well, when I was very young, I don't know exactly when, because this is uh, not the first book in the series, but at some point my dad started taking me to the bank sometimes and other weeks putting it in himself, but he put a little bit of money in my savings account. Once I started working, which was during this book, uh, when I was 13, I started putting some money into the savings account. Okay, So they did teach us things like that, but in general, they wanted us to not want. Then in my 20s, the early 1970s, somebody else began to teach my generation. The government began to teach my generation. Yeah, that chart that you see and can't quite read is inflation. Some of you that have been born when we've been artificially controlling inflation don't know what it is. But in the 70s, there was inflation. That spike there in the whole period of the 70s is up to 17, 18% inflation. That means whatever you buy today, a year from now, is going to cost 18% more. Okay, And once you get on that roll, it goes pretty fast. It's a scary thing. And what it teaches us, what it taught us, as I was in my 20s and 30s then, what it teaches you is that saving is stupid. Okay, What it teaches you is that buying is smart. And debt is good. When it's runaway crazy like that, it teaches you all the wrong things. Because it's silly to put money into a savings account because next year it's going to be worth 18% less. Doesn't matter what interest you get, it's going to buy less. So the idea is to buy. Buy as fast as you can. Rack up as much debt as you can. Buy the biggest house you can afford because next year, no matter what you paid for it, it'll be worth 18% more. Okay, that's what we learned. Okay, you can see we're kind of getting conflicting messages here, but that's what my generation grew up learning. I've got one book on my shelf about debt-free living and getting out of debt and all that. It was written in the 70s. Early 70s, and I opened it up and looked at the examples and all that. The numbers in it are just crazy. You think, how could anybody live on that? The, the numbers are so small. Well, that was right before it went inflation crazy. Okay? Uh, now, you younger generations are getting more of the same irresponsibility by the government. Uh, you're getting a little different message. The message we get today is that nothing is certain. You know, it's not like it's just going up 18%. You don't know where it's going to go. Half of your savings can disappear overnight. What you thought you had in your 401k goes away because of what some congressman did. So that's what we're learning today, you younger people. Now, we're doing the same thing, we're just changing the first letter. We used to do it in millions, and then we did it in billions, and now we do it in trillions. Okay? So now we've got a country 
that Toby can stand up and tell us that debt is bad and saving is good and all of that. But we've got a country that's $17 trillion in debt. And you ask the people in charge, well, isn't that going to cause a problem? And they say, nah, it'll be all right. Okay, so that's what we've got. Uh, as Toby showed us, today we've got a society that through all of that is so confused they don't know what they're doing. They are living, you are living, some of us are living a disastrous normal life. And we think it's normal because of all these things we've been taught. But it's disastrous. Today's mentality is you get it now, you pay later. The more credit, the better. The less savings, the more debt, the less giving. That's just the way you get by. So that's who this series is addressed at. The older generation, older than me, the ones that lived through the Depression or right after that, they're just sitting there nodding, yeah, this stuff's right. Beyond that, my generation, baby boomers, we're kind of conflicted because we've been taught a whole bunch of stuff that some's right and some's wrong. Yeah, younger than that, most everything they've been taught is wrong. Now, how did it change that much? Yeah. Now, I realize government had a part in it and all sorts of things had a part in it, but I want to point out two biblical reasons for the change. Now, let's take a little time out here for just a second. When I say a biblical reason, that's a very important word. Because in the series, we'll talk about some things that aren't biblical. Okay? When you start talking finances and all that, you can get into some stuff that's not a biblical principle. For instance, we're pushing the, the Dave Ramsey seminar coming up in a few weeks. He's got a lot of good advice. He's not a divine guru. Okay, everything he says doesn't come from God. Now, when he's right, it's because he's following one of God's principles. In fact, that's a pretty good rule to remember. No matter who you're listening to, if it's a motivational speaker, if it's a financial person, whatever, where they follow a biblical principle, they're right. But they get into other stuff that's not a biblical principle. For instance, Ramsey will give you some investment advice if you're in that class. It may be right. It may be wrong. I don't know. Nobody knows for sure what investment advice is right. But when he talks about the basics, give first, save, spend carefully, save, uh, wait for things, that's good because that's godly principles. Okay, time back in. Now, let me give you two biblical principles that I think accounted for the change and what we lost somehow. First, I believe that in my parents' generation, people were more content. And somehow, we lost that. Hebrews 13.5 says, uh, Keep your heart free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Okay, First Timothy six uh, sixteen through uh, six through ten. I put down uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
And it goes on to say, uh, be content with what you have. And be content with very little, is what he said. If you love money, you're going to get in all kinds of trouble. Be content with what you have. People used to be more content. Just look, they bought a small house, and they stayed there forever. They lived in it their whole life. We don't do that anymore. We've got to have a bigger one. We've got to keep moving up, and we've got to get in the new neighborhood, and we've got to do all of those things. They paid off that little house. They began to save after they paid that little house off as quickly as they could. When new things came along, that generation didn't have to have it immediately. They were content. Okay. When color TV came in, color TV came in in my lifetime, believe it or not, young people. When that came in, everybody didn't run out and buy a color TV. It was kind of slow to be accepted. People were content with what they had. Yeah, the color TV was interesting and amazing. And if you had a relative that was bought one, that was cool. Go over there and watch it. But in general, they were content. We, would, we went without one for quite a while. Contrast that with what happens today. Okay? When the new iPad comes out with a high, high definition screen instead of just a high definition screen, idiots line up around Best Buy to be there when the doors open. I'm sorry if I offended some of you, but how goofy is that? I got to be the first to have this. I'm not content with what I have now anymore because there's something newer and better. That's the way it is. The, the new iPhone comes out. i got to have it. In fact, I saw a commercial the other day. they got plans now where you don't have to wait two years to get a new phone. You can upgrade every six months. As soon as a new one comes out, get it. Okay? My folks had one phone their whole life. It was black. It was tied to the wall. And it weighed 15 pounds. Yeah. They were content. Yeah. Not the way it is today. You young people couldn't even operate one. It didn't have buttons on it. Had a dial. Yeah. Secondly, I believe that people believed and practiced... Delayed gratification. We don't even talk about that much anymore. That's just not a concept that's, that's worried about too much. But people back in that generation, before mine and into mine a little bit sometimes, we, we understood delayed gratification. Okay? I told you about my little brown savings book. Okay? I don't know when money started going in there. I know I started working when I was 13, and I started putting money in here. And when there was enough and when it was time, I bought a brand new car. Okay? I took my savings that I've been saving for a long time and brought a brand new car in 1967. Okay? Today, people don't do that. They don't save for it before they get it. The, my credit card company, I have credit cards so I can travel and all that. I try, that's all I use them for. But they send me checks in the mail. 
Every few months they'll send me a little stack of checks and say, here, use these. This is like free. They're just going to put it on my credit card, but there's people that use them. Look, I got free checks. Okay, That's the way it works today. Look around. Every corner almost has got a, a easy cash place. You can go get a loan. Give them the title to your car. They'll give you some money. No, duh. They'll give you money and charge you an amazing interest for it. Uh, rent centers places like that. We didn't used to have those. It's because people want this thing, whatever it is, right now. You don't save for it before you get it. You just go get it. And all of that feeds on each other. It just eats us up. I was talking to a rental company. reminded me. I was talking to a guy once that worked for a rental company. It wasn't renter center. It was another one. But I asked him about how they market, and we was talking about all that. They, they're on all these databases, and this was back even before NSA started keeping it all for them. They would get on all these databases, and if you were late on your utility payment, the first time you were late on a payment like that, you were targeted. They knew you were getting in money trouble, and they would mail stuff to your house, direct mail targeted to your address, because they knew you were going to need something. They knew you were starting to get in money trouble. And they wanted to get you in more money trouble. Yeah, that's the way it works. It just all feeds on each other. Delayed gratification is a weird concept today. It used to be normal. I read about a family that made a list one time at the start of the year. They made a list of everything that they wanted that year. Here's the things I'd like to have this year. They wrote it all down. And then they made an agreement that they would wait until July. They just put it off six months. Okay. What they found out when they got to July was half of the list they didn't even want anymore. Okay. They had decided, they, I don't really want that. I can do without that. That's the principle of delayed gratification. That's just a bonus. If you get in your mind, you want something, you go in a store and see it, and you buy it right then, you got it. If you go home and say, I'll wait till tomorrow, 50% of the time you'll say, that'd be kind of dumb to get that. I don't really need that. I can save the money. So just delay it a day and you save yourself half the time. But saving for something before you get it is a principle that used to be very common. I think those two biblical principles are a big part of what changed things. Okay, here's what you may be asking. Some of you young folks are asking, okay, all this is real interesting, good history. The old guy knows a few things, but so what? So what? You know, it actually sounds a little bit boring. You know, never get anything new, just live in the same old place. Might as well be in a monastery. Yeah. So, so what's the big deal about all this? What used to happen that was better back when weird was normal? Well, a huge piece of it, Toby just barely mentioned last week, a huge piece of it is it just makes life better if you follow God's plans. You look around at how much stress is in people's lives today. 
because they can't pay the next bill. They got to move this credit card to that credit card. That's a huge stress producer. And then think about what that does to marriages and how it tears them up. And you go on and on, you think through this, and just doing it God's way makes life a whole lot better. Okay. If for no other reason, if you're in debt to, or you're in slavery to debt, like we talked last week, if you go through the rams of the Financial Peace University that helps you get out of that, you'll be amazed at how much better life is. And we got a lot of young couples around here that'll tell you that. They'll give you a testimony. Things are better now. So that's a piece of it. That is one reason that going back to the old ways ought to be better. But today I want to remind you of something about the kingdom. I think it makes a big difference in the kingdom too. Not just making your life better and your marriage happier. I think there's a couple of kingdom things that happened back in the old day that probably couldn't happen today. Well, let me give you those. First, I think the old practices freed up people's hearts for true treasures. I think when people were more content and practiced delayed gratification and practiced the principles that Toby laid out last week, their hearts were more had more room in it for true treasures. Yeah. And that's not just guessing. I mean, it's, it's a matter of math. <laughs> Matthew 6.21 says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Yeah. And if you've got less earthly treasures, less phony treasures, you've got more room in your heart for real treasures. Yeah. Secondly, I think it freed up those folks' finances where they were able to give. Okay. Toby was talking last week about the connection between the heart and the wallet. I think it freed up their heart and it freed up their wallets. A few years ago we talked about willing and able. Remember that? A lot of people are willing to give. They see a good cause. They want to help, but not able to. Don't have any spare money. They're behind. They've got, they got to make payments. They can't give to anything extra because they're in slavery to debt. Okay, this is the big one to me. This is what I want to be the main point you get out of the day is being out of slavery to debt, being debt free, living the old paths frees you up to give when there's a good reason to give. I want to illustrate that with two real life stories. Uh, and they're from our history. So here's our celebration time. Part of this year's theme is to celebrate. Northside's been around 75 years. Uh, during that year of Jubilee, I think the Israelites told each other stories to remind them of how it used to be. So during this 75th, I want to tell you a few old stories, and we'll start today. Northside started in 1939. Uh, this is a picture of the building, the above-ground building, uh, under construction in about 1943. You can see a bad picture, but you can see they're still under construction part of it. Okay. Now, when Northside started in 1939, uh, there were 38 of them. There were 38 charter members. Okay. 13 couples, 13 married couples, and 12 individuals. 
I, I got their names. I don't know who all of them were. Uh, I think most of the individuals were women, so I think they were either widows or people whose husband was not interested in church or something like that. But 38 of them. They weren't old uh, in general. They were a younger group. Like the Tituses, who many of you knew and remember, Pete and Doris, they were newlyweds, yeah, just been married. And they were part of this group. So it, that was the flavor of the group. Bear in mind, they were just coming out of the Depression. Okay, in 1939, they're just starting to get out of the Depression. The average United States salary was $1,300. And no, that's not a week, young folks. <laughs> that's a year. Okay? Average person made $1,300 a year. Okay? And that was including all the high-salaried people. Construction worker, steel worker, somebody like that, made about four or $500 a year. Okay? That's who this group of people is. They decided to plant a church, to start a church. In the first four months, they bought land, dug a basement, covered it over, built a room in there where they could worship, and started worshiping on their own spot. That was the first four months. During the 40s, now bear in mind, during the 40s, World War II was coming. Materials were rationed. It was hard to buy anything. During that period, they built this building that you see in the picture. They built that above-ground building above the basement and began to worship there. They also began to support missionaries, also began to help plant other churches. That's what this group did. That's one story. We'll finish it later. Now, when Northside was close to 50, and some of you may remember this a little better, uh, 1986, not quite 50 years old, uh, this congregation started a television program, Know Your Bible. Uh, we mention that often. I, I tell you about it. I tell you about the Sunday that this group of Christians uh, gave 55000 kind of out of the blue, uh, unplanned for, unexpected. We'd talked about a TV program, but we couldn't get in any airtime, so we kind of gave up. And finally in 1986, Channel 3 called and said, we've got a time slot open. And if you'll give us almost 50000 a year, we'll let you have that time slot. Okay. Uh, we didn't have the money in the budget. We went to the congregation, told them the situation. I think we gave them two weeks to think about it. And two weeks later, they brought $55,000. Okay. Now, that group, let's think about this a little bit. That group was one-third of today's number. One-third of this group. Okay? The budget was one-sixth of what our budget today is. Okay? We gave them two weeks to think about it, and they brought in. Uh, here's how they responded. They brought in, next slide, 16 times the weekly budget. Today's equivalent, if you multiply our budget by 16, you get $308,000. Okay? There's that inflation I was talking about. Okay. Money's worth half as much today. Uh, there was one-third the, the number of people. Uh, but if you 
put everything in equivalent, just multiply it time weekly budget, it'll be equivalent $308,000. Okay, now that's just two stories. Now the reason I told you those two stories is so we can think through how does this being indebted, enslaved to debt affect us and the kingdom? So here's my last question. How about today? What would happen in similar situations today? I'll say this. It is a given, I believe. I think this is a dead solid fact that materialism distracts our focus on the kingdom. Okay, Some of those early charts I showed you and just how we live and what's normal now and all that. I think materialism affects our focus on the kingdom. We don't focus on it like those folks in 1939 did, perhaps. Okay? I think that's a given. But in this one particular that we're talking about, Christians being enslaved to debt, my question is, do you think we're hindered in what we're able to do for the kingdom? Now, bear in mind, I'm telling you, I, I hope you get free from debt because it'll make your life a whole lot better. But I want you to think just a little bit deeper and think the situation we're in where many of us are enslaved to debt, does that keep us from doing something special for the kingdom? In 1939, let's think of this in detail. 1939, 13 couples probably in their 20s and 30s, and 12 widows and single adults and women with husbands who weren't interested. That many people. I thought about taking the time to have 13 young couples stand up, all in their 20s and 30s, and then 12, a few widows and a few single adults. Just have that group stand up and say, you 38 people who are lucky to have a job, who make an average of $20 a week. The war is coming. Some of you may be drafted. In the next few years, would you be able to buy land, build a building, furnish it, begin supporting missions, and help start other churches? Is that possible today? Now, realize I'm kind of limiting you. You don't have to stay at 38. You can convert as many people as you want. You can get as much help as you can convert. But, in general, you're the core. You're you're the folks. Now, I don't have that 38 standing up. But whatever 38, put yourself in that 38. Could you do it? Could you do it, the financial situation that we live in today? Or would what's normal today prohibit it? I fear what's normal today would prohibit it. Now, the 1986 story. 250 of you. Let's pick 250. Probably this section right over here has got close to 250 in it. Just you people over here. None of you guys. You're not in this illustration. Okay? If I gave this group over here, 
If I gave you two weeks to think about it, could you show up in two weeks with $308,000? Pledge it for the next year? To start a great opportunity, an unproven opportunity, but a great opportunity that we think will really work. Could you do that? Now, I picked this direction because I don't want any old folks in it who could cash in a 401k and pay for the whole thing. They're over there. <laughs> now, we got a few over here, maybe. But in general, this is the younger group that, that couldn't do that. This is the younger group that's more likely to be living what's a normal life today, 30s and 40s and 50s. From your income, could you find enough to pledge your share? Let's break it down even further. If your share would be about 6000 your family. Could you find an extra 6000 to give in the next year? And would you be willing to do that? Or would what's normal today prohibit you from doing that? I fear that what's normal would prohibit us. That's one reason. That's the reason I want to hope I got across today that being indebted in, in, in slavery to debt not only keeps us from having a good life in many ways, but hinders the kingdom too. And when we look back to when weird was normal, the kingdom could do things. Things could be done in the kingdom that I fear couldn't be done today. Next week, Toby's going to come back to tell us about free, what free means in this thing we're talking about. And uh, as I close, I want to echo the point that he made last week. I think it was a great one. Being debt-free means it's a matter of a better life. Uh, You can go through this life and not be debt-free. You can get to heaven and not be debt-free. But being sin-free is a matter of eternity. If you're not sin-free, that doesn't mean you never sin. It means you've had the guilt of sin and the, 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 the cause of sin removed by the blood of Jesus. If you're not sin-free, today would be a good day to fix that. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, come, let's stand and sing.